And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying, What meaneth this? These men are lowly Galileans, and yet we hear them speak in our own tongues wherein we were born. Then the text enumerates the various nations from which these people had come. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying, One to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Peter lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then Peter reaches back to Joel 2, 28 to 32, and quotes verbatim the very text that foretold this monumental event transpiring in Jerusalem as Jesus had foretold having these 12 men with the power of the Holy Spirit preaching by divine inspiration, removing the chaos and confusion in their minds and preparing them for the first gospel sermon under the great commission in the name of the resurrected Christ as an accomplished fact. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, for it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in Hades, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known unto us the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. 
Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom ye have crucified has been made both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you, your children, those that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward or crooked generation. And they that gladly received the word, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. And the Lord added to the church those that were being saved. What a gospel sermon this was. Indeed, the first gospel sermon, not period, because the gospel had been preached from Genesis 3.15 all the way down through the Old Testament. The last two verses of the Old Testament constitute a gospel sermon pointing toward the Elijah of the New Testament, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the object and the subject of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This was the first gospel sermon, comma, in the name of the resurrected Christ as an accomplished fact, the consummated, completed gospel of Christ. All of those other gospel sermons look forward in anticipation of this sermon, the first sermon to look backward on a consummated course of redemption. 4,000 years of work in order to bring the seed of woman, the seed of Abraham, that seed placed in the womb of the Virgin Mary who brought forth Jesus, who was called the Christ. Can it therefore, in view of the momentous nature of this sermon, be a surprise that in Acts 2 and this gospel sermon, we learn how to preach as God wants preaching to be done. Among many other truths, this great sermon sets forth, as we have been doting in this series of studies, the purpose of preaching, to make known the scriptures. Half of this sermon constituted verbatim quotations from the Old Testament, 25 verses, 12 of which is book, chapter, and verse preaching. As Peter went back to Joel and quoted from Joel, went back to the prophet David and quoted from David, in order to prove that was what was transpiring on that occasion was from God. And that it was not David himself, but the one of whom he spoke, Jesus Christ, 
whom God raised from the dead. To make known the scriptures, one of the great purposes of preaching, to prepare the heart and mind for understanding the scriptures and receive the scriptures. This is a twin to the first point. And therefore the Old Testament plays a major role in preparing the mind for this great gospel sermon and all the demands and commands, restraints and restrictions. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. From Matthew 1, 1 to Revelation 22, 21. When one journeys with God from in the beginning, God, Genesis 1, 1 to Malachi 4, 5 and 6, and allows his heart to reflect all along the way in deep, solemn, reverential meditation upon the God says of the first 39 books of the Bible. He is not going to come to the New Testament books from Matthew 1, 1 to Revelation 22, 21 with an argumentative spirit. He's ready to hear and obey whatever God says. A heart prepared for the reception of the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ set forth in the New Testament. And then a third truth and purpose of preaching is to disturb people. Those people on Pentecost needed to be disturbed because they had crucified the Son of God. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye also know. Ye have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. No wonder they were pricked in their heart. But then only 3,000 of them. There's no way to know specifically how many total thousands and thousands of people heard this sermon on Pentecost of Acts 2. Why there were Jews present from all over the earth, devout Jews who knew something about the Old Testament. And yet all of this huge number and these manifold thousands of people only a microscopic portion, a spiritual residue of Israel, a minor number of 3,000 obeyed the gospel of Christ. Thousands upon thousands should have obeyed the gospel of Christ. One wonders just what they learned, if anything, in their journey through the Old Testament. One thing is certain, at least on this day, hopefully some obeyed on another day. But on this day, just a small number had hearts prepared to receive the truth and allowed the truth to disturb their minds to the point 
that they accepted the only solution that God offered and they had. Obedience to the gospel as their eyes feasted on Calvary. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 10 to 12. Tell us who's going to heaven. Who's going to be saved. Who's going to obey God. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Only those who love the truth and therefore receive the truth are going to die in hope of heaven. And therefore, from Genesis 3, 6 to this present hour, one of the purposes of gospel preaching is to disturb the minds of people. And that's the last thing the majority want. They are constantly clamoring for an undisturbing gospel, for a sweet gospel that contains no restraints and no restrictions. No in your face with do this or else. No in your face by trying to get in your mind with the horrific nature of sin of which people have no desire to hear. And unending repetitious warnings that if you don't turn from your sin in penitence and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and change your way of living from loving sin to hating sin, from loving the pleasures that sin brings to hating such pleasures because they are ill-conceived and rest not in the truth, but in man's desire for unrighteous conduct that appeases the flesh, but mightily wounds the spirit. All of those in Judah and Israel needed to have their minds pricked, disturbed, upset over their conduct, and that's the kind of preaching they heard. For three transgressions and for four of Judah, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Why? Because they have despised the law of the Lord. Amos 2 verse 4. Can you upset and disturb people who despise the law of the Lord? Not to the point of their obeying it, but they do get mightily disturbed over the hearing of it. They hate the truth. That's strong language. They despised the law of the Lord. Hosea 8 and verse 12 said, They counted the law of God as a strange thing. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rude by their means. And my people love it. Jeremiah 5 verse 21. If a man who speaks lies and falsehoods, lie to this people, even he shall be the kind of prophet they want. Micah 2 verse 11. 
They needed to have their minds disturbed. But that's not what they wanted. They were disturbed, upset, and offended by it. But they hated every word of it. They despised the law of the Lord. And even so it is today. There are even some in the church who don't want to hear the truth on some subjects. They're just like those ancient people. They despise the law of the Lord when it comes to some subjects. They're engaged in certain sins that appease the flesh and they enjoy these sins. And they enjoy the participation in them. And they like the pleasure that it brings. And they hate any preaching that goes counter to their desires, wants and wishes. And sometimes speak out like those ancient people in hatred and despite of it. Oh, how courageous were those great men of old who did not hesitate to attempt to disturb the minds of those people. That's the kind of preaching Paul did. After he had obeyed the gospel, the Bible says, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God, Acts 9 in verse 20. What was their response? Did they enjoy that kind of preaching? They hated Christ. If he could have come back to the earth, they would have crucified him again. They enjoyed participating in the crucifixion. They clamored for his blood and enjoyed every moment of it. They hated him. Why? Because of his appearance? Because of the manner in which he preached the truth that grated on their spiritual nerves? No, it was because of what they said, what he said. Not how he said it, but what he said. They hated the truth of Christ. And they hated anyone who preached it, as did Paul. And therefore the text says, Three verses later, and after that many days were fulfilled, they took counsel to kill him. Acts 9, verse 23. He went to preach in Antioch of Pisidia. He preached the same sermon Peter preached on Pentecost. He even quoted from David, just like Peter did on Pentecost of Acts 2, in order to prove that this Jesus of whom he was speaking had been raised from the dead. And the next Sabbath day came all the city together to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming, Acts 13, 42 and 43. They hated the preaching of Paul. It disturbed and upset their hearts. And they lashed out with preaching of their own, contradicting and blaspheming everything he said. In Acts 13 in verse 50, Some of those notable women and men were so stirred up that they expelled him out of their coast. He went to preach in Iconium. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to persecute him. Acts 14, verse 5. He went to preach in Derbe and Lystra, The same gospel that has been preached for the last two millenniums. What was their response? And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. 
Consequently, the gospel that Paul preached was an offensive gospel. It disturbed and upset people. They hated it. They hated the sound of it. They hated the thrust of it, and they hated the meaning of it. And they often responded by blaspheming the preacher, contradicting whatever he said, and endeavoring to stone him to death like they did on this occasion. But God preserved his life for another day of preaching. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, perfect in word, thought, and deed, preached his own gospel in the most loving, gentle manner in which words could clothe it. And yet, the preponderance of Jews and Gentiles hated what he said because they did not love the truth. And it disturbed them. It upset them. It offended them. In Matthew 15 and verse 12, Jesus pointed to the source of real defilement. In verse 11. Then in verse 12, the apostles came to Jesus and said, Do you not realize the, these people were offended after they heard this saying? What was Jesus' response? Did he apologize for the manner in which he presented the truth? Did he modify the message? Did he reach out to try and bring them back in with some kind of loosening of the strictness of the message? He said, these people are blind. The blind shall lead the blind and both of them will fall into the ditch. Leave them alone. Those are strange words to the minds of liberal thinking people in the church. To hear Jesus say regarding any group, leave them alone. There is a time to cease our preaching, teaching, begging, and pleading with regard to certain individuals concerning their need to obey the truth and recognize that their hearts are just like those hearts back there of whom Jesus encountered everywhere he went. And they will use the truth you preach against you if they can benefit from it. Leave them alone. There's a time just to close your Bible and leave some people alone because it is obvious by their own thinking, own words, and own conduct, they have no interest in the truth, will not obey the truth, will cast the truth back into your teeth and then misuse you in any way they can. No love for the truth. In John chapter 6, Jesus fed multiplied thousands with a handful of loaves and fishes. The next day, they came to find him. Jesus said, you're not seeking me because you saw the miracles, but because you got a free meal. You did eat of the loaves and the fishes and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. John 6, 27 and following. And then he commenced to preach to them what they needed to hear, but what they did not want to hear. A disturbing, upsetting, offending message of the need to assimilate every word of God into one's mind and heart. 
and implement it in life. Oh, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can receive it? John 6, verse 60. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. John 6, verse 66. This characterized the ministry of Christ of over three plus years. Everywhere he went, just as it characterized the preaching of Paul, these enemies of truth followed both of them around. Not because they were concerned about truth, but because they hated the messenger and the message of truth and clamored for the life of both. No wonder Isaiah said of Christ, the master preacher and teacher, he is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and filled with grief, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The truth is basically a disturbing message, an upsetting message, an offensive message to all the people of the earth who do not love the truth. It runs counter to everything they want, to everything they want to hear, and to the kind of life they want to live. It is unsettling to their minds. It is disturbing and it is offensive. The basic message of the truth tells man you're lost and undone and there's not one thing you can do about it. Does man's pride love to hear a message like that? You are going to torment if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess Christ and be baptized into Christ. Do they love a message like that? Does denominationalism love to hear about the exclusive church of Christ, the exclusive gospel of Christ, the exclusive truth of Christ? Over half of those in the church of Christ in their liberal thinking despise the truth. And it disturbs them to no end when people try to put their minds in gear with it and confront them with what they really need. One of the purposes of gospel preaching is to get into the hearts and minds of people and disturb them, upset them to the point that hopefully they will reflect upon the truth, come to love it, and out of that love, render obedience to it. If you're present, never obey the gospel. We encourage you by faith to repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized into Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You've done that in straight away to come home in penitence, confession of prayer. And if you just need the prayers of the church, we'll be happy to pray with and for you while we stand and say. There's a great day coming, a great day coming, there's a great day coming by and by. When the saints and the sinners shall be tarted right and left, are you ready for that day to come? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? Oh!
before the judgment day. There's a bright day coming, a bright day coming. There's a bright day coming by and by. But His brightness shall only come to them that love the Lord. Are you ready for that day to come? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? There's a sad day coming, a sad day coming. There's a sad day coming by and by. When the sinner shall hear his doom depart, I know you not. Are you ready for that day to come? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? Oh.